Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 65th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for June 1981, progs 215 to 218. This week, things look bad for both the Mutant Army and the UG Resistance. We'll see some of the weirder Mega Rackets of Mega City 1 and the ridiculous conclusion of Return to Armageddon. How's it going this week, Fox? No, it's not Natalie Portman's birthday. The launch of the USS Ohio or Amadeus winning the 35th Annual Tony Awards. It's Space Spinner 2000 with your hosts, Conrad and Fox. Thank you, Flaws. Music. Are those all events from June of 1981? <laughs> I'll never tell. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I've i seen Amadeus, the musical. It's alright. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I have, honestly. But anyhow, <laughs> speaking, of a, speaking of events in, on this day in history, Fox, or I guess of this week in history... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> The uh, the big thing here, this episode, is that it you know we'll, it's uh, coming out on October 9th, I swear to God, and that means that we've been doing this show for over a year. Our first oh episode, my God. yeah, our first episode was October fifth, and so here we are. It's our anniversary. Oh, suddenly cue uh, those weird kazoo things and some uh, some like celebratory uh, birthday music like get that resounding in there and then like maybe like a like a kind of a fizzling out like oh uh, <laughs> give me so many comics give me so much so much so much foley work to do when i'm editing this episode fox i don't i don't super appreciate it <laughs> well listen if it's if it's not if it's not done in post then uh, i want to pl- imagine Imagine the magic. <laughs> yeah, I'll play some uh, so our uh, our award music here, and then like three air horns. So that's happening right now. <laughs> um, Everyone will appreciate it. <laughs> so. I mean, I- yeah, but generally just here's too many more uh, years in this podcast as we slowly make our way through. You know, one to ten uh, percent in a year—that's pretty good. Ten uh. percent. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, a uh, lot. You know, we for the first couple, like maybe four or five months, we were only doing one pro, one month at a time, which slowed us down a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping to pick up speed over the coming years, but you know, yeah, you know, it's a long-term process. <laughs> Ain't no boss on this Rolling Stone, baby. Yeah. But everybody, just thank you for joining us. Traditionally, uh, the one-year anniversary is the paper anniversary, and that's why we get straight to these progs. Oh, snap. Let's yeah. do this. Thrill one, strontium dog. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Carlos Escara, leg robot Tony Jacob. Oh, man. Just like Parliament, everyone's pointing fingers and screaming at each other, but <laughs> Johnny Alpha ain't gonna take no sass as he elbows a dude and kicks another one in the face. That's right. The uh, Johnny Alpha, or young Johnny Alpha, stands accused of being the son of Evil Mutations Minister Nelson Bunker Creelman, and that's why Creelman was able to escape. Which is total bunk, and I guess, like, just immediately is like, nah, dudes, check it out. Like, I'm not that thing, punch kick. And then, look, I'll throw this time grenade, which, yeah. I guess, does a thing. 
Yeah, I mean, Johnny is, in fact, Creelman's son, but that's not why he escaped. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, I, I, I do like this double thing that he's doing. He's yeah. like, not a dumb 17-year-old. Yeah, because his argument isn't, he doesn't, re, he doesn't like, uh, reject the charges. He more sort of, you know, instead asserts his mutant heritage, basically. <laughs> I'm one of you, man. Yeah. He beats up the duck faced guy that, uh, accused him and those weird brothers who will later meet in the past in that journey to hell's, uh, Strontia Balg story. Yeah, I guess. They were just kind of cool with them after that. Well, not really. No, no they, they were, were not nice. cool in hell. So, yeah, this is where that, that relationship turns. Um, but so, Creelman's de- uh, deploying the, that time weaponry, like he, the time bomb, the time guns and stuff, all over the countryside. They're, like, mounted on the tanketto, like, mini tanks that yeah. the Creelers use. And they're just blasting all, uh, all armed and unarmed resistance around, uh, around, around England, including poor ghetto Joe No Knees from Trenchtown, <laughs> where Johnny Alpha's from. Oh, God. Is, I loved that guy. Zap him straight to space as he stands there with no knees and his sign saying, uh, Creelers out. You know, he's like, uh, <laughs> Hank Hill's dad on King of the Hill. But, uh, so. <laughs> Not great. I, they're just murdering people wholesale. Yeah. And, like if you didn't think that Creelman was a bad guy, by the way, he's like uh, time Hitler. Yeah. So Creelman's retaken the countryside, though the mutant army still holds up Min- Minster. The mutant army threatens to like kill the king and Parliament, but Creelman doesn't seem too bothered by that. To be honest, he instead makes his demands, which is surrender now, or one hundred mutant prisoners will die every hour. And I just want to say one of the fun things about Portrait of a Mutant is all these dumb, um, like sort of next prog, like puns things. The oh ne- yeah. Next week is a uh, no snacks, please. We're brutish, which is of course a a reference to famous failed musical No Sex Please. We're British. Oh. Yeah. And Snack, of course, being one of the Strontium Dog face fake future swears, which I'm always, I always enjoy. <laughs> so, the mutant army is between a rock and a hard place. You know, they aren't really going to kill, like, the government in cold blood. There's, you know, they're soldiers, not uh, killers. And it probably won't help even if they did, because, like, Creelman's a power-mad despot, you know? He's, he'd be down if you killed Parliament and the king. He'd just assert authority. So I'm just surprised that the prime minister and the king are completely powerless, but they are sort of like the, we just kind of let this happen types. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're being held, held prisoner under armed guards right now. So they seem pretty like, you know, whatever helpless in the face of of what's going on, both inside Upminster and outside of it. The mutant army Mm. surrenders to the king and government, not Creelman in the hope of getting leniency. They get none. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty much immediately like, okay, time for a trial. Yeah. It's like, they basically say like, we're we're, going to surrender to the king. Uh, Hopefully you guys will be cool. The king's like, yeah, of course we'll be cool. Cut straight to kangaroo courts led by Creelman sort of sending all the mutant, all the mutant, the low level mutant army prisoners to labor camps and the mutant generals being tried and sentenced to death. Every single one of them. Even Mind you, his own son. He's fucking, he's a dick. And even just, like, before that, you you get cut. Like, everyone's like, oh, man, they're they're giving up. I guess we're going to have this trial. Yeah. And fucking Creelman just goes home to his bedridden wife, who is, like, 
desperately sad, like, the loss of her child has not been able to recover, and he's like, hey, so, uh, you know, I saw her kid, and she's like, oh my god, and he's like, yeah, I totally sung some to death, it's pretty yeah. great, and she's, she's like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> like, she's, she's, like, been dying this whole time, like, confined to bed and stuff, and she, like, basically, like, weeps into her pillow as Creelman sort of walks off whistling, like, happy, basically. Um, he's just like a huge dick. Yeah, he's a terrible person. Johnny waits in his jail cell for execution as his mother plans. She gives a gun to her daughter, Johnny's sister's Ruth, and tells her to save him. She's pretty cool. Yeah. She handles it like a pro, man. Totally, yeah. So, ple- pleas of leniency on the mutant generals are rejected out of hand as Ruth Creelman goes to see her brother, Johnny Alpha. The two, With a cool hat. Yeah. The two pretend to not know each other <laughs> and get in like a big argument and like she slaps him and stuff. But as she does, this is just an act and she sneaks the gun into Johnny's hand. Like a genius. Yeah. It's a good move, dude. Yeah, because it's like she yeah. sort of pretends. It's like a... Uh, it's like in that in a gladiator, right? When um Oh yeah. When uh Joaquin Phoenix's when when the late playing uh the Emperor's uh sister like goes to visit Russell Crowe and like it's supposed to be like either yelling at him or having sex with him or something like that, but in fact she's like talking about rebellion and stuff. You heard it first. Uh gladiator completely stolen idea from <laughs> I mean, again, we've talked about this. If, if we mark all the things that happened in 2081st over the last 40 years, like, you know, a lot of them th- that are that are also stolen as just sort of basic story conceits that 2080 itself stole, you know. Look, I just like to think that the entire world has read this comic because I'm reading it. Look, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, like, yes, like uh, Warcraft and Starcraft are very heavily influenced by like Warhammer and Warhammer 40K. But Warhammer and Warhammer 40K stole everything from other people, too. So, like, you know, you're only going part way down the web, you know. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, though, um, so... Johnny's got this gun, but he doesn't want to use it. Um, he knows that the general's jailbreaking would endanger the lives of all other mutants in England who are currently being held in camps and stuff. Um, but then, at the same time, on the floor of Parliament, Creelman makes his move. He proposes that all mutants in New Britain, every single one, be exterminated. That's the only solution. Oh, the, uh, and they bold and italicize solution. The final <laughs> solution, Fox? Ah. Yeah, the, it's like he's a nutso. The, uh, the Prime Minister makes an impassioned speech against the motion, but it's carried by three votes. The generals are informed of this, and Johnny decides that, man, now they might as well escape. What, what they're going to kill us more? Like, whatever. <laughs> he, he pretends to be sick, and then he pulls the gun on his jailers. Which, like, who falls for that? It's such a, uh, it's such a trope of, like, I'm gonna pretend to be sick in my jail, and then when my jailers come to, to check on me, I'll, like, uh, make my escape, you know? Just, like, shoot him. Just, like, yeah. I'm sick. Pew. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, oh, you should have stayed sick, muty. <laughs> oh, bad news. Oh, oh man. And then everything gets awesome as, like, yeah. uh, torso just, thwumps everyone to death and uh, God, I gotta love the torso. Yeah, buddy, I told you he's my favorite. Um, it's so great. Because yeah, Johnny pulling his gun on the jailers leads to a super action-packed final prog this month 
as Johnny ties up his jailers and frees the other generals and it's jailbreak time. Everybody pretty much gets some kind of hero shot, like some kind of like thing they're doing that's heroic and cool. Um, mm-hmm. Taking out guards, evading automatic defenses, stealing a shuttlecraft, stuff like that. Because why the fuck not? We got to great escape our way out of this. Yeah, man, but the torso I shoots the hell out of the people. I guess the great escape, it's just blow it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mutants escape for now, but Creelman dispatches several shuttles on of his own to take them down. Next time, Shelter Skelter. That- <laughs> Stupid. It's good, man, yeah. Their puns uh, are boy. Stronium dog so good, buddy? Dude, uh, so what's great uh, about Strontium Dogs is that it just keeps moving. Like, yeah. There's no one subject it stays on for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets resolved fairly quick. Yeah. All the action's fast and furious. It's like, you know, it's really sort of get, getting in the nitty gritty of fights, but then also having these big, like, political moves and stuff. It's an awesome melding of this sort of high-level government stuff and on-the-ground fighting stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. We've got, like, two more months of it. Oh, it's so good. I'm so oh, that's awesome. happy about, like, just everything that's going on in Strontium Dog here. It's, uh... You know the bad guy's bad. I, yeah. I like it, and it's not it's not um, uh, King Seth bad. Although I I would I guess I Seth mean is, no, he's way actually Krillman's super worse, man. He's ultra evil. Yeah. There's not even like a trying to help. Like he doesn't even really seem that interested in like uh, the interests of his comrades or anything like that. He's like <laughs> or just, his people. He's yeah. just like just go kill. Yeah, he just hates. You know, he's just horrible. Like, genocidal racist guy. You know? Screw this dude. I'm just ready to, like, watch someone just blow his head off. But, but uh, spoilers from the beginning, he doesn't die in this fucking story. No. We know... Oh, we still gotta go and get him. Yeah. We know that um, he's gonna survive to Johnny's adulthood. I should actually correct myself, Fox. Sorry, one more month of uh, mm. a portrait of Mutant. It, it oh, ends next month. Boo. But, man, it's gonna go out pretty good. I think we're... I, you're gonna be super excited. I think we're all gonna all right. enjoy ourselves. Anyhow, <laughs> speaking of enjoying ourselves, speaking of uh, ridiculous future action, Fox, thrill to future shocks. <laughs> He's got so fucking weird. There's some. There's some good. There's like a couple good ones and a couple like uh, growers in this one. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, there's a blooming cold script robot Kelvin Gosnell, art robot Gary Leach, lettering robot Jack Potter. This is another Joe Black adventure. We'll, we'll remember him from Prague 204, episode 62. He's a space scout oh, yeah. for pest, the Planetary Exploration and Survey Trust. And he's come to a huge chemical factory orbiting Earth. He's found a plant on an alien planet that looks kind of like a Venus flytrap, and it attacks anybody with a common cold, <laughs> curing them of it. He's... Here, here to sell it to this pharmaceutical company or slash chemical company, which I feel like is a British thing, where like instead of where they have chemists instead of pharmacists, box for instance. Mm. Well, that's what okay. I see on like Down Abbey or whatever. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say they call them like apothecaries and. Or, I gotta poke uh, down something. to the chemist to get me aspirin, but um, oh. <laughs> to get to get my my cocaine powder and laudanum. Uh, oh, uh, you know, you know how I feel about cocaine powder, Fox. In favor. Um, but so oh he's here to sell it to this chemical company. They reject him, but for a while, 
Or, or sorry, they reject him for a while at least, but then Joe is knocked out and he wakes up in a jail cell. It turns out that the comp that the company already has two other cold cures. But, you know, in sort of your standards uh, uh, freshman in college sort of thing, like, man, it's easy. We make more money by selling temporary treatments to diseases instead of actually curing them, man. Um, oh, whoa. <laughs> um, Joe quickly escapes back to his ship. There's a resulting space battle that's pretty nice, and then he's shot down over Earth. Joe parachutes to safety as his, uh, and his cargo in a return of, of one of my favorite contraptions, the fucking grab chute. Yeah, he, which he grab it's not them. a parachute; it's, it's just a little yeah. weird backpack. You it's strap like on yeah, it's directed gravity to make you uh, fall slower. And uh, yeah. his cargo of cold plants is scattered across the countryside, curing colds as they go. Ah, well, who wants to be rich anyway? <laughs> I mean, to. So I guess like there's no ba 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 with this. Nah. It's just like I like there's, it's just these weird flowers that want to like make out with you. Now, this one's more of a want want instead of a uh, instead of instead of a bam bam bam. If you ask me, <laughs> it's, it's more of a comedy trombone than a uh, than a raucous air horn. You know. Can we can we get a can we? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Oh well. Who wants to be rich anyway? Wah, wah. And all, all, yeah, a lot of foley jobs for me this this week. <laughs> Anyhow, um, next up, the man who was too clever. Script robot Pete Mill, uh, Pete Milligan. Art robot Brett Ewins. Lettering robot Steve Potter. So this is the first appearance of writer Pete Milligan on our show, and his first appearing with a uh, Brett Ewins. The two of them will will uh, team up later to make the iconic mind bending future war story Bad Company. Circa like Prague 500 or so, um, okay. which is actually a, a which is 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 a really fun story and one that I I really enjoy and, and am looking forward to. But it's fun just to see sort of these guys teaming up sort of early on, you know. I really like the like uh, art in general, like the face. Yeah, yeah Ewan's has guy. a really distinctive um, art style that's very like sort of hard. That's got very hard, crisp lines and a lot of like really specific like fine detail in it and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's very neat. Um, but so this time they're telling the story of, uh, Sammy Malloy, a cunning future criminal on the run from the law. The net is tightening in on him though. And he needs to make a clean break learning of a new experimental quick cloning procedure. Sammy steals a hover car and forces the scientist to make him a clone, which he then intends to turn into the police so he can escape. What he has encountered on, though, is that the clone himself is is as cunning and ruthless as he is. So Sammy gets killed by his own clone, who then takes off to live uh, the original Sammy's chosen life of criminal luxury. A bam, bam, bam! Watch out for clones. <laughs> this is pretty good. I, yeah. I mean, you see it kind of coming, but like you know. Yeah, I mean, this like, feels oh, like a story that gets told a lot when there's sort of clone stuff. Yeah. This is sort of a basic Twilight Zone-based clone story, but I thought it was also pretty fun, you know? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. No problem. story. Mm Mm-hmm. So next up, The Last Rumble of the Platinum Horde. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot John Higgins, letting robot Tony Jacob. So, long ago, the Carbongian Empire has built the ultimate unstoppable army, the Platinum Horde. They've conquered everything everywhere. 
With no enemies to fight, the Emperor has an idea. He assembles the toughest hundred thousand of the Horde, puts them on spaceships, and send them out to conquer their way through the galaxy. Oh do their battle cry. Kill! Burn! Pillage! Although, it's you should really pillage b- before you burn, IMO. <laughs> well, you know, maybe they like burn stuff. It's true. No. Yeah. They travel the galaxy in one direction, just heading out to like the Galactic East or something, uh, destroying every civilization they come across. As they go, they see these weird signs that always read, Horizon, 8 billion parsecs, no matter how far they travel. Time goes by. Generations are raised, fight, and die aboard the Horde's ships. A hundred, a thousand, a billion years passes. Uh, the the reason for their path of conquest is long forgotten, even at and even like the order of their battle cry becomes confused. Soon, only ten thousand members of the horde remain. Morale is low, but then Varda Van Drag the Violent steps up. Let's have one last rumble for old times' sake. They land on a planet a once great but not uh, that was once great but apparently now spineless and weak they e- they easily conquer it but then find out that it's the former home of the Carbongian empire the oh. universe is a big circle and they've gone all the way around i guess bam bam not super heavy it's a no, super it's a heavy fat, uh, fact so what do we do we do what we do best Let's keep flying out and conquering the galaxy. Oh, you can never stop because the universe is a circle. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> fucking weird. I don't know. I thought this was pretty fun. I like the idea of just a, like generations of dudes killing and conquering the galaxy and eventually getting just to a point where no one forgets, yeah, forgets anything, like why they're doing it, what's going on, you know? Mm. So, last future shock is New Cruise Blues. Steve, oh, God, uh, this one. Yeah, script robot Steve Moore, art robot Steve Kite, letter robot Jack Potter. Just a just a, a one-and-a-half-pager here, a super quick one. Um, it's like a Prog 1 feeling, Future yeah, Shock. Yeah, very, you know? very primitive Future Shock feel. Um, old Future, old Shock feel to this one. So, a, a couple boards, a space cruise liner, the Titan 1C, and it's very mm. nice. It's full of rich people and stuff. There's a performer named Lucy, Ta- named Lucy Tania. There's a crew no, member named Hindenburg who sleeps on the job at a late uh. watch. It's the safest ship ever built, ever built, Fox. Until, <laughs> uh, one guy, or until, until the guy in a couple at the start realizes Titan 1C? Why that's, Internet leet speak for Titanic! <laughs> and then it crashes into an asteroid. Bam, bam, bam! Everybody's dead! Oh, it's horrible. It's so bad. But then, you know, you get a Clash of the Titans mini comic book. So, that's so many nice. of these Clash of the Titans mini comics. There's like 20 in the series or something. I actually want to. I want to rewatch. I have to rewatch Clash of the Titans. I feel like because I got to real. I, I need to figure out if this is the actual movie they're telling us, or if this is all off-screen stuff for the movie. Oh, interesting. I mean, it could be yeah, either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Any, but now it's time for more exciting action, Fox, with Thrill Three, Judge Dread. Oh yeah, this stuff's good. Yeah. Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner writing a C.B. Grover. Art robots Ron Smith, Barry Mitchell, and Colin Wilson. Letting robot that Tom Frame. Looking good, Tommy. Uh-huh. Also, uh, the, the credit card is a shield. 
That's right. Yeah, he's got. I, I forget if this just started happening or what. But yeah, they're starting to have a special Judge Dread uh, credit card here instead of the usual generic one. It's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. So we're doing the Mega Rackets, Fox. Fox, we're deep in the middle of the Mega Rackets. Um, this time we start with the Blitz agencies, which are you know hitmen essentially. Um, we learn the story of Rita and Teddington Lumley. <laughs> they're two citizens. They're super down on their luck, jobless, and they're being forced to move to the Mark Clark block. Who I did some research, and I guess it's the he's a World War Two uh, general guy. Okay, they're so bummed about this, they try to commit suicide, but they don't got the guts. So instead, yeah. they hire a blitz agency to do the deed. They they go to he. It's like I'm I'm. Uh... Teddington, I'm gonna go meet this scaly skinned man. Yeah, yeah it's in a Ron Smith bar. going real, drawn real, drawing this guy, drawing the head of the the, uh, the Blitz agent guy real, real crazy for no reason, basically. I I just want to know where they're meeting because it's just like weird crystal statues around. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what a future park might look like. Yeah, it feels like a very sort of like you know, let's just make a city one. <laughs> Mega city up this joint, you know? <laughs> but so, yeah. So they hire the Blitz. Once they hire the Blitz agencies, though, things start turning around. Uh, Teddington gets a job as a knee pad grader. Always appreciate Mega City One knee pad related things. Um, hey, man. That's are important. Yeah. And they actually find out that they're moving to the Sir Kenneth Clark block. Who is oh, a, that's not too bad. Yeah, he's a British historian and broadcaster of this long-running show called Civilization, I guess. So, things are looking up for them, but then, the Blitzer strike! Um, I think killed poor Teddington! Teddington dies! And Rita calls in the judges. Despite Dread being on the case, the hits keep coming, as it, as, as it were. <laughs> There's... Oh, well, I mean, but she first gets 15 years in the ISO cube, so yeah. unless she fucking cooperates. Mm-hmm. And um, we learn that the Blitzers don't give up as a matter of pride, even if they, like, the person, you know, we sort of, when Teddington called for the hit, they said, like, hey, man, like, you can't call off the hit once it's on, just FYI. So, um... So there's a mail bomb. Dread, uh, Dread manages to sort of like throw it out the window. And then he gives chase. He guns down one blitzer and chases another into the street where he promptly explodes. You know, which is awesome. Yeah, we've, like, we've, we've seen this before in Mega City One Hitman. Like, do you remember there was that mob boss guy that was just a head? And he could imitate people's voices and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, and they send hitmen to kill him. And they sort of had then the uh, the head guy pretend to be their boss and tell them all to surrender. But because they all had these murder boxes inside of them, that just made them all explode so they wouldn't kill Judge Dredd. <laughs> like, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So, oh, it's coming back. So this is gross. kind of a callback. That's kind of neat. Um <laughs> But so knowing the Blitzers will never give up once engaged, Rita turns herself into Dread, knowing she'll be safe doing 15 years in an ISO cube for hiring Blitzers in the first place. I just don't feel like that's a good trade-off, man. I mean, you know, honestly, I don't know what the cubes are like. Like, that's the one thing that I feel like we really, that we really need to see, but we haven't so far in um, in Judge Dread is what it's like in jail in Mega City 1, you know? Exactly. And I don't I even mean, know maybe, if we'll get that isolation for a long time. Cube doesn't sound super fun. Yeah, but I want to know, like, you know, is it like a cell? Do they put you in a coffin or something? It could be anything, you know? That's 
fair. So I think it's interesting to see. You know, it, it would be interesting to see. I don't think I don't think we're actually going to get it. <laughs> you know? But uh, uh, maybe it's a mystery best. Yeah, left maybe an annual or something. Who's to say? Who's to say? But so mm. now we got a new mega racket fox, the psychos. Man, mm. I was so upset at this cover, which I I kind of alluded to prior to the show. Man, yeah. this cover. Which I guess we'll go over later. It's a big spaghetti monster on the front. Mm-hmm. It's like this game monster's gonna get you, and I'm like, oh, that's gonna be great because see a spaghetti monster fighting Judge Dredd. Yeah, man, it's oh, not farce. Yeah, uh, we meet Aldo Polo, a restaurateur who's being uh, basically a Mario esque uh, entre- yeah. uh, uh, restaurateur who's being plagued by threat by threatening a mental image as a oh, <laughs> the, the messages turned <laughs> dead. <laughs> <laughs> the, the messages turn deadly when a plate of synthetic that's a synthetic spaghetti, FYI, comes to life and attacks him. Terrified, Aldo gets into a hover taxi to escape, but the taxi doesn't exist. He falls into his death! Uh, oh. Dread is suspicious and has the body taken to side division where it's found that Aldo was under heavy psionic attack. We learn. I, I guess you can just sense that off the corpse. Yeah, like you, you know, it's like uh, it's like uh, gunpowder residue, but uh, psychic abilities, I guess. Oh my god! Somebody has been listening to Art Bell. I mean, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Hey, uh, oh, hey, damn it. I know. I actually do. I okay. I know what you're talking about for real. I'm trying to pro- project an image here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we we learn about the psychos, a band of criminal psychics or psychers, depending on how you want to talk about it, who do all kinds of stuff for the mob. They uh, foretell the outcomes of heists. They root out uh, rats and informants. And the big money makers offering protection, quote unquote, to rich citizens, which is basically just sort of a psychic racketeering operation, basically. Um, pretty good use of psychic powers, TBH, in criminal yeah, crimes. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's good future crime stuff. Um, a lot of this stuff is done out of the third eye um, insurance agency, which. Which is pretty cool, and and uh, one of their main operatives is this guy Rex Squeers. Uh, Dread drops the boom on Squeers, crime blitzing his house, putting him under surveillance, conducting strip searches on the street. On the street, Rex gets super mad about this. It's time to psych Dread out. Which I uh, probably not the best idea. Mm-hmm. So Dredge under psychic assault, or those around him are actually. A traffic liner pilot is fooled into almost crashing into Dread. Another lady is fooled to try to get Dread to run into the flaming wreckage. It turns out that this is all part of Dredd's plan. Um, because though side vision is still unable to pin anything down on Rex, he's trying to sort of goad Rex into tipping his hand, basically. Just want to reiterate that part of Judge Dredd's plan was... Goading this man into harming other people around him into killing him. So it's like, that guy flew his shuttle into the ground and everybody else inside, including him, died. I mean, you know, Dread. Dredd's not super concerned with collateral damage, as we'll see in, like, half a, half a year. In, like, mid-1982. Oh, my God! Um, Rex's Check some people, I guess. Rex's boss, Jeremy Saul, is not pleased with all the heat that Rex is pulling down. After an unsuccessful brain scan downtown, Rex is told to lay off Dread, but doesn't take that advice. He uses his powers to send a pair of third-eye insurance salesmen to try to run to try, try to run 
Dread down. Dread uh, naturally Dread avoids this and takes them down um, in turn. But it's looking very bad for the insurance agency that's there. Like a guy, guys in a third eye, like company car, tried to attack Dread. Yeah, the next, exactly. The next day, Dread is called down to the dockyard where judges have found the dead body of Rex Squeers. He should have left well enough alone. I mean, so what was the lesson here? Like, didn't he want to catch this company or yeah. just Squeers? I mean, well, well the thing that, that we're seeing with all these mega rackets is at is like, you know, we see sort of individual, like, sort of franchises or like, you know, pieces of the web of any one racket, you know? And mm-hmm. Dred's able to take them out, but the increasing story is like, there's all these little pieces and sort of Dredd can take can take out individual ones, like, you know, the lowest level guys, one by one on the street. There's this larger edifice of organized crime and mega rackets inside Mega City, one that he can't take down. Because you need evidence, I guess. Yeah, there's sort of certain, you know, it's... Again, it's not clear to me why they can't, um, like, crime blitz into some of these offices and stuff. Like, it's the the difference between sort of being able to crime blitz places, crime blitz some places and not others is not clear to me, you know? Private private homes? A-okay. Yeah. Uh, places of business, you are, you better get yourself a warrant. Yeah, asshole. because, I mean, you know, like, Third Eye Insurance likely has tons of files about who they're extorting and stuff, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. So. Whatever, you know. We, so, we got one last racket, Fox, and that's dude, the numbers and, racket. And, it's, and it has one of our favorite recurring characters. A truck it's that's just A truck full of acid? acid. <laughs> That's a good character. It's it's the best character. So this is the numbers racket. It's not like small-time gambling, but actually criminal computer hacking. They don't actually have the terms for this stuff yet, so they never say hacking in the course of this comic. (laughs) Um, It starts pretty awesomely, though, like Fox said. It starts with an assassination conducted by hosing some guy down from a truck of danger acid. Just attach... (laughs) Attach the hose to the acid truck and spray this guy and just hose him down. Invasion style. It's not a great situation for that dude because he turns into a melty puddle. Yeah. And then Dread, like, Dread intervenes. He skids through this big puddle of acid. The assassin gets a face full of his own acid hose and stuff. It's ridiculous. Gross. And so they have to call in acid judges, which are like, yeah, going to scoop up. Acid? Yeah, forensic judges armed with um with uh hazmat suits and shovels, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like burning through the shovel yeah. is great. They they managed to pull out an artificial kidney from the human soup, and eventually the di- the victim is identified. It's a Melhulish Hames, who was an uh. ex- executive at the Rengold Furniture Company, who seems to have sold computer code to the numbers guys and then was melted for his trouble instead of paid. Ta-da! Dread consults with Judge Professor Burroughs at the Academy of Law to try to take down Lumpy Lepke, the numbers guy who's probably behind this acid killing. Uh, yeah, luckily at that point he, the same professor judge is like talking about uh, the numbers game and he's like, use blackmail it's and very, espionage uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a very sort of law and order kind of transition where you go and talk to somebody who's explained who does sort of the exposition work for you as you go to talk to them you know 
Um, yeah, exactly. But so they, they do a double cross. They have a plant cell computer code to Lepke that's actually a backdoor into his system. They use it to find his location, and Dread r- rides out. Time to take them down. Next time, cool. Lumpy's number comes up. Yeah, you know, more um, more Mega City crime stuff. I always appreciate, of course, Mega City things. Um, there's gonna there's about to be a pretty fun um, a, a, a couple fun chapters relating to all of this. So that I've, you know, there's been months of setup, and I'm and I'm and I'm actually pretty excited for the next um, really set, set of stuff. Yeah, yeah this is be, all set up. There's gonna be a big gang war next month, or at least it's gonna what? start next month. It's gonna be real good. And all these different crime bosses and stuff are all going to have to come together. It's going to be neat. What? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. I yeah. didn't, man. And uh, That's awesome. So I didn't want to spoil you, Fox. You know? No, that makes me more excited because, like, I, you know. All right. Yeah. I mean, like, one-offs, I enjoy them. Because, like, I think it's what actually keeps Dread fresh is that it's, like, already we're seeing in a lot of these stories that if they go too long, you get into a situation that's kind of like... Uh, okay, this has been going on for a bit. Yeah, it's I'll, good. Uh, it's always nice when Dread takes some time to uh, to retool and sort of reset everything. You know. Yeah, and but it's still knowing that it's still also some setup makes me very happy. Yeah, I mean it's like a TV show where sort of you know you have your myth arc episodes, you have your monster of the week shows. Mm-hmm. But speaking of uh, the 2080 myth arc, Fox. <laughs> non thrills covers a nerve center. Oh, let's start with uh, Prog Two Fifteen. Brian Baldwin continues a tear of neat covers. This time, introducing us to Mega City One's Contract Killers. It's, in, well, this one's pretty cool. It's just a bunch of dudes in a window with a sniper rifles and stuff. It's neat. In the Nerve Center, Tharg demands more reader mean arena teams, and letter writers <laughs> suggest sci-fi authors to read. They nominate their chums to be Krill Tro Thargos and demand backstories for demands a backstory for the strong team dog Sticks and request Ooh. more sword and sorcery tales. Check back in a month, buddy. All right, nice. Oh, and they also ask if uh, Tharg's homeworld can be one of their school teams. So I guess it'd be Gryffindor, Slytherin, and uh, Quaxan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's drawings that are some kind of like mean arena bust called Talon's Revenge, a Zragian gunship, Tharg the Delivery Droid, a Masada Martian Extraordinaire. Which is awesome. Yeah, there's some neat ones. This prog ends with a Tharg pinup by Robin Smith of Tharg the Welder striking back against Rojas, wielding a welding a big metal X over his mouth. No, Rojas! I I don't... I don't feel like it would stop him. It's like it's it's an inside teeth job, you it's, know. It's a good point. Just be, yeah, based on the uh, on the design of Rojas' mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so and I'd have thought it all the way through. Uh, you know, in two sixteen, there's another Brian Ball in cover. The Synthetic Men are out to get you, which makes Fox so unhappy. Well, it's like I just I wanted that. It's so awesome. Mm-hmm. I, what more awesome spaghetti-based monsters, monsters yeah. in my life is what I found out. It's fair. Um, in the Nerve Center, Tharg the Fland, which I believe is a reference to the Tiswas character, the Phantom Flan Flinger. Uh, uh, here, okay. he, here in U. Here in the U.S., we call what the, what uh, they call flans in there. Sort of like it's more of a, a subset of a pie, I guess, like more of a, of a whipped cream-based pie. You know. Also, sorry, I have a big pie di- diversion here where um, I say 
It's written by script here that, you know, we, here, here in the U.S., we got, like, only sweet or dessert pies, very few meat pies in the U.S., and, and we have flan, but or flan, but it's generally like a Spanish or Mexican food, similar to what a British person might call, like, a caramel pudding or something like that, so this yeah, has like been... A jelly. Yeah, this has been your, like, culture shock corner, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Get freaked out. Yeah. Oh, man. The end of this thing was awesome. Oh, I'll yeah. let you get to the letters. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in the Nerve Center, we we get uh, Tharg teases that there's th- four new series coming up in the comic. I know three are Nemesis, Rogue Trooper, and Ace Trucking. I'm not sure about the fourth. Uh, it could be something that was axed during the production process. It could be the upcoming 34 Prague Judge, uh, Judge Dredd Mega Epic. Who's Who can say? Um, letters request... Photos of Tharg's for photos of Tharg. Once again, there are questions about the intergalactic pricing of the progs and demands for a pronunciation of the cursed Earth. Tharg says cursed Earth, but I'm not. I'm not with that. I like cursed. Yeah, man, cursed. Yeah. This prog ends with an awesome pinup of Rogue Trooper by Dave Gibbons. Oh yeah. It's just war and burning, and I don't know what this is about, but yeah. I'm into it, because grenades and cool hat. Robes partially in shadow, and yeah, a giant war appears behind him. Coming soon. I, I don't know what a rogue trooper is. People have showed me pictures of the video game, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. I'm gonna say that it's hard to figure out what rogue trooper is just from looking at pictures of him, because so much of it has to deal with, like, dialogue and story and other things like that. Um, mm. I think you're gonna dig Rogue Trooper. He's, he's fun. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, I mean, hey, we'll see you soon enough, dude. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, like, two, three months. We're gonna be oh. deep in Rogue Trooper. <laughs> I'm gonna get deep, deep in that Rogue Trooper. That's right. You wanna feel his biochip. Um, so. Oh my se- god. <laughs> nah, whoa. I don't know if I should say that. Uh, Frog 217, Mick McMahon gives us a rare future shock cover. Uh, Universal Havoc. It's the Platinum Awards last stand. Yeah. They're, the, they're pretty awesome. Yeah. Got some swords. In the, uh, in the nerve center, the visible Tharg explains <gasps> that his creative droids love working their constant 24 hour shifts while he recently nice. gave one droid a five minute break. Oh, that's <laughs> pretty nice of him. Yeah. Meanwhile, the letters in this prog are pretty, pretty belligerent. They ask, like, why there's a back issue closet in prog 208 when they don't <laughs> sell back issues. Oh, maybe yeah. it's a joke. Well, uh, I mean, you know, they, they have back it. They have old issues for reference. But they just don't have any to sell. You know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, that shit's expensive. Yeah. Also, just a just a point of fact that uh, Earthlet uh, P O N uh, from Tring, the one who did the Invisible Tharg, mm-hmm. props man. You've been reading for a while. You yeah, know what that good, is? Good old school call out for sure. Yeah, man, Invisible Man. Yeah, like Invisible 70, Man was great. January seventy eight. Um, God damn. <laughs> think about it. We recorded that episode in January, buddy. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Freak out. I am freaking out. You had to retape it, remember? It was crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so first. But so, um, there's also a letter from a guy from Dublin claiming to be an ambassador from Zarg. There's a poem and a short story by enterprising writers, pictures of a judicial cyborg warrior, and gores. Bodyguard Emperor Neono Three, the cyborg looks like a trace job to me. By the way, just saying. 
Mid-prog, Tharg decides to a queue with some Earthlets and realizes that they've all been attacked by Thrill Suckers. So reserve your copy of 2000 AD now to avoid the Thrill Sucker pay, uh, plague. Here's a coupon for your newsagent and a spare coupon for your friend. Aw, look at that. K-Factor. The, uh, then the, this prog ends with Mick McMahon doing a pinup of those fan favorites from the Judge Child, Ugo oh, the Brave and Uglica and their ugly-ass Space Caveman Kid. <laughs> real weird and real gross. For me, the highlight of this is the Judge Dread pe- uh, petroglyphs in the background. Yeah, that's that was awesome. They're, I like how they draw. God, you know, they, they 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 draw both his uh, belt and his shoulder pad as being like full sized forward facing eagles, which I think would be really neat. Just as like a as a god you could worship, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. In a Prog 218, Johnny Middenface and the Torso by God Mid- uh, Newcastle. Awesome. Fight their way out of prison in a great Ascara cover. On the top of the cover, it says, The Galaxy's First Thrill-Powered Vidzine, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> um, in the Nerve Center, there's pictures of Tharg Angel, which seems like an amalgam of different members of the Angel Gang. Judge Burt, a Harlem Heroes picture, a Star yeah. Trooper, and a Murdering Mantis that I guess was also traced as well as an interstellar F-106 wreckage salvager. Mm-hmm. Pretty a, a, cool stuff. Yeah, according to what Tharg says, I guess one of the um, thrill, one of the forthcoming thrills is the upcoming um, Mean Arena story from this prog, which, mm. uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a, uh, a lively debate about Earthlet versus Terran. Most people coming down on the Terran side for the good it does them. Uh, one of the writers is Chris uh, Ch- uh, Chibnall, who may be the same Chris Chibnall who goes on to create, to be the creator of that uh, uh, show Broadchurch and also the writer of a bunch of like Doctor Who and, Short- and Torchwood r- related things, which, you know, is theoretically cool. The name matches up. I'm not sure about the locations. <laughs> There's, there was also the solid Plastine Top Ten. Oh, which, yeah. Which was like, so I love that uh, number one is uh, Shat Up Your Face by Lips Lazarus. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mock Zero has a, has a number six with Muscle Bound, which uh, I thought was adorable. Noah Mac Mac songs, which I'm always sad about. Well... I mean, that just transcends space and time. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Yeah. But it's funny ever. because, uh, yeah, a lot of these songs are, in fact, songs that I've seen as being top 1981 hits. Like, I, sh- uh, I had to really decide whether I was going to have sh- uh, sh- uh, sh- Shut Up Your Face be the uh, be the song for March uh, tw- uh, 1981 on the show. I-, I didn't go with it, I'm afraid to say. All I have to say is, you know what's a real big job? Fucking, mm-hmm. we'll bring the house down by the Terramax. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, a big-ass poem in favor of Bonjo from Beyond the uh, Stars. Woof. God, Woof. Who are you? <laughs> and then there's more reader profiles at the end of this, at the end of this prog. Lots of prog oneers, lots of future war fans. Rogue Trooper is coming. Ooh, so. Look at that. Okay, and, here we go. And like an ad for uh, a space shuttle with some, some glue. 
Yeah, it's a model. It's a model of the space shuttle, which had just launched, I believe. Like one of the letter writers actually like um says like, "Whoa, that space shuttle just launched. That's pretty cool, right?" And thought was like, "Yeah, finally, g- glad of you Terrans to finally join us in space, douches." <laughs> I always I appreciate when Tharg says that our scientific experiments are BS. That's funny. <laughs> hey, but, but Fox, what's up, buddy? Oh, Spe- no. Speaking of things that are kind of BS. Uh. <laughs> Thrill four, return to Armageddon. So, script robot Malcolm Shaw, art robot Jesus Redondo, letting robot Bill Nuttall. So, the destroyer. So, the the we start with Amtrak groveling at the destroyer's feet. The destroyer is stoked that Amtrak wants to join him, but he's not dumb. He wants Amtrak to prove his loyalty. Dude, and then uh, the snake guy. I thought he turned into snakes. Well, yeah, the, by them. yeah. The prospect of the two twins becoming uh, joining up makes the two remaining space pirates, Snakebite and Shadow, nervous. Snakebite decides to run off. The destroyer overhears him and then animates all of his tattoos and snake hair and stuff, and then he just dies in a big old pile of snakes. <laughs> it seems horrible. Yeah, to prove his loyalty, um, the destroyer has Amtrak fly over to Even Seeker and has him kill Eve. Amtrak cr- tries to play it cool and be like, that's not a proof of loyalty. I don't even care about that lady. But the story is like, come on. But like then, hey, if you don't care about her, it'll be no problem to kill her. All right. How about that, jerk? Yeah. <laughs> She's been following you around, you dangle. Yeah. Don't cut her head off. Yeah. So uh, the, the, uh, the Hell's Angel looks, at, looks on as Amtrak raises his sword and cuts off Eve's head. It's all off screen, oh. but that's pretty cool. It just decapitates this woman while she's like, what the hell? Yeah, in theory, but it turns out to just be a fake-out anyway, dude, because Amtrak uses that dang time belt to revive her. <laughs> um, after a talk with Seeker, Amtrak realizes how to defeat the Destroyer. He'll have to win by sheer force of will. Uh, yeah. Later, Amtrak arrives at Sanctuary with Seeker and an alive Eve, and then goes after... And then, sorry, and then after the demon sends the Hell's Angel to the Burning Sea as punishment, Amtrak puts his plan into motion. He grabs the Destroyer, and the two of them suddenly merge into one. Oh my god. Also, just quick shout out to the Burning Sea for being a giant mass of hungry people. Yeah, it's burning oil full of un- undying people who are like, oh, that Hell's Angel, let's rip them piece to piece, piece for piece, mm-hmm. and eat them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, the Destroyer is distracted and Eve must strike them both down. She's worried about killing Amtrak along with the Destroyer. Will she strike? I I do like how the way that he just kind of merges with the Destroyer is by giving him a little forehead nuzzle. Yeah, like, kind hey, gives him a hug and a cuddle and then they merge bodies. <laughs> Can't. Can't beat the force of love. Mm-hmm. Eve will Whatever. strike. She encases the two-headed destroyer in an amalgam of ice, and she and Seeker lug the frozen hero and villain to, um, aboard their st- their this star. Sorry, they, they lug him aboard this star crystal thing that like Amtrak made to mark his location a couple of progs ago. But I I don't really think we. We, we mentioned that much, but whatever. Uh, um, it's just, it's a thing. It came down. They yeah, didn't have a, a spaceship. Now they do. Yeah, it's Plot a sn- snowflake spaceship thing. Uh, the final space pirate, Shadow, tries to escape as well, but he's killed by the massive snakes that ate Snakebite, one of which also stows away with Eve and Seeker. 
This uh, will not be important later, but it will be a, like, wink and a nudge, I guess. Yep, this is where they start uh, teasing the end of this story, incidentally. Um, if, if you've already caught up and figured it out, I mean... Uh. <laughs> um, so, they go to the Stones of Eternity and meet with the Triads. They restore Amtrak to life and congratulate him on a job well done. And they congratulate the Triad Matrix for winning the game with a phenomenally low score. Only a hundred planets destroyed. Wait, uh, score? Game? What's going on here? Uh, so, it turns out that the Triads are all giant, all-powerful, like, children playing games with the lives of all of us mere mortals. Like, in their sort of trans-dimensional ultra-powerful, outside-of-time basement, while, you know, and then they have to leave because their parents come and tell them to knock it off. <laughs> it, it's like, oh yeah, the entire universe was made, just, this is a video game. Just a board game. Just the, just the board. board game, yeah. I, I don't know what kind, of, but yeah, sorry, the universe is the board for our game, that's what I mean to say. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, It's going to start again with a destroyer being found and the whole drama playing out anew. It's a bloody outrage! I should... Yeah, it is. Yeah. From the mortal point of view, though, that won't happen for another, like, hundred, like thousand generations or something like that. So, um... Or, sorry, hundreds of generations. Yeah. So Amtrak and Eve are at liberty to do whatever they want. They, Seeker, and that stowaway snake all fly to a cool new planet <laughs> that Seeker's robot buddies have stocked with cool animals from their sort of, uni- you know... They're sort of building a, a space zoo as time goes by. Um, <laughs> you know. Seeker goes to rejoin his, his people, and Amtrak resolves to teach his descendants that the game against the Triad is a huge farce. This time, they'll be ready. Even Amtrak... Listening, she's eating an apple. Yeah. Even Amtrak head off to repopulate the human race, but he's tired of that name, the name of a Triad. Instead... Call him Adam. Whoa! Bam, bam, bam! God. It was all a dumb video game, and these guys are actually Adam and Eve, and that snake's not a not a metaphorical snake about Satan, but a literal snake created by Satan to kill his <laughs> space pirate buddies. Uh, wow! Uh, no. Nah. Uh, lame, fun. buddy. <laughs> I don't I, like I mean, it. I guess in true fashion to what we had said before, when right. we really loved this comic, um, I mean, I didn't see it going here. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see, you know, we didn't see it coming, really, but it's still, like, you know, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a game. Like, the all this weird stuff is explained by it just being a game played by all-powerful space beings is, like, like a cop-out, if you ask me. I mean, I know that you asked me, like, how this may have ended. Yeah. Uh, I forget what I said, but I'm like, oh, you know, it'll be fairly generic, right? Like, which... I don't know if I'm more fine with that or more fine with this. Like I, when I when I was reading through it, uh, I was just like shaking my head, just like this is how you're gonna end it. Yeah, like like it's it's feels like um, God. Some people are just not gonna get this. It feels like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like oh, you're actually just trapped inside of a giant pinball machine. Yeah. Oh, uh, the ghost is released by. I guess just turning the flu of this thing, and you're just like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, I mean, that's why there's that's why there are air horns. This is a this is a big future shock ending, you know. It, this thing was kind of a big future shock. Remember when he was just a melty man? Yeah, and like 
and like shit was just blowing up and getting weird. And, yeah, he was oh, man. freeing himself by by giving robots a way to rebel against humans and stuff. Yeah, some glory this days. Was just like I, I just don't know, man. Mm-hmm. This, I don't know how I feel about Return to Armageddon <laughs> anymore. Well, that's interesting. That's it. an it's interesting stance. One. Yeah, <sighs> but yeah, so that's the end of Return to Armageddon. Uh, it's it's Malcolm Shaw's only 2000 AD work, as far as I know. But uh, really? Jesus Redondo will stick around for a while. He's mostly going to draw future shots from here on out. Um, That's crap. They, the art in this is great. Yeah, he's real good. Um, you know, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, the first and second act of Return to Armageddon are so good and weird and crazy and stuff. But honestly, I feel like this is the problem of stories that are really crazy and mysterious. Like, once you kind of start getting information and you kind of figure out why things are happening, it ends up just morphing into the into a, a plain old story, you know? Like, once I, it gets solidified, yeah. it, it loses the weird, mysterious stuff that actually made it great, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, maybe they just went, like, way too broad on the whole thing, or, or just having it be the devil taking over an entire planet, as opposed to we gotta find this spaceship or some shit yeah. would have been a little more interesting. I, I don't know. I, like, end it earlier, I guess. Because this went on for way too long, and yeah, it got I mean, way too weird. I mean, just an immortal melty guy sort of wandering the Earth and dealing with um, weird future stuff. That would have been good, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, move to the... I mean, you kind of have to get to the showdown and stuff like that, and that's sort of the hard part, you know? It just didn't feel that way, because all he had was a fucking ice sword that made up powers. Mm-hmm. And a belt that he could press a thousand times. Like, it yeah, didn't matter. It did kind of lower the stakes a little bit once you found out that there was basically no consequences for using the time belt a ton. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Mixed feelings, man. Yeah. I don't know if I'd suggest it. Don't know if I wouldn't suggest it. I mean, it's uh, there's a collected version of it if you want to check it out. Like, definitely... Yeah. Man, the first, yeah, the first two acts, um, especially that, that middle act, Ramtrak's melty and just everything's going crazy is um, is real good. Damn. Yeah, just in terms of like not knowing what's going to happen, of things being interesting and exciting, and the possibilities being really cool, you know, like finding, finding a robot friend who will just blow up your problem. <laughs> I mean, I'd love the story of like getting in depth on a robot rebellion that's based around the fact that one robot knows how to lie and can teach other <laughs> robots how to do it. Like that sounds really neat, you know? Yeah, exactly. Anyhow, Fox. Speaking of things that are melty, like Amtrak and <laughs> Act Two. Of uh of meltdown man and of us not being able to use this transition anymore, which I'm really bummed oh. about. I gotta say, I'm gonna miss it. Uh, <laughs> it's thrill five meltdown man. So, script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. So I'm shooting at this Yeti and ain't nothing happening. Yeah, a crazy Yeti Yuji has King Seth. Yeah. Right. Should we be sad? Should we not be sad? I don't know. Yeah. Soon it won't matter. He's got his purposes. Uh, Nick Stone tries to blast the Yeti, but the bullets have no effect. The Yeti goes to throw Seth off an ice chasm as Seth screams that it's an illusion! Oh. Yeah. Stone realizes the situation only after Seth goes overboard. Uh, he sees that the Yeti is projecting a psychic image several feet to the left of where it's actually standing so that attacks of it are actually like hitting thin air, basically. Uh, Stone attacks where the monster actually is, and, or sorry, yeah, Stone attacks where the monster actually is and gets it to knock it off, basically. 
Um, <laughs> With a knife, too, yeah. no less. They try to say that you can see where the beast is because of, because uh, the beast, like, he, the beast is named Slag Heap, by the way. Just that Slag, pe- Slag Heap's footprints are in the snow, but, like, where he actually is, not where the projection is. But this is not borne out in the art. The Slag Heap projection makes footprints and sort of piles up snow around his feet, like, he, like yeah. he's walking through it. This is an art fail. <laughs> Slag Heap is officially a Yuji blend of monkey, goat, and yak, but he's clearly a Yeti, and he claims to be <laughs> passive, only motivated to act by the massive evil radiating from King Seth. Which is not false. I mean, Seth's evil, we all know that, but, you know, he's a useful kind of evil. Whatever. Yeah. He's a, he's a Ka, you know? Whoa. I don't know if I do know, but I'll go with it. Ah, uh, you're good. <laughs> um so Seth goes to get the snake and once he leaves Slag Heap and Louis and Louis the Lion man are attacked instantly by predators and sweet snow <laughs> APCs. Uh, Those things are great and they uh, have a whole bunch of predators with like spears inside. It's weird. Uh, Slag Heap manages to trick one of them off the side of the cliff, but is too chicken <laughs> to stop the other from taking Louis the Lion Man prison. Slag Heap grovels at Stone's feet and he decides to use this psychic coward to this advantage as Seth spits curses. Yeah, you know, the, the all the troops have ha- have melee weapons or hand-to-hand weapons. Yeah. Because the only guns they have are those snip guns, and those can only be operated by humans, you know? Exactly. I mean, I feel like that's purposeful. It's in lore. Yeah. So, in the uh, Snow City... So, so we, we go to the Snow City Jail where T-Bone and Polax are in cells yelling at each other, annoying the Rhino Man between them. Uh, Lee Shar and Tiger Commander arrive with Louis the Lion Man, and he and Polax immediately get in a fight. Because remember, they have beef over the leadership of the Yuji Brigands and stuff, Fox. Which, uh, just FYI, like, Polax, like, pretty much starts beating his ass. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's how he took over the brigands. He's a better fighter than than Louis, you know. Yeah, fair. But um, they the fighting is quelled, and Polex gets the crap kicked out of him by Tiger Commander in turn. <laughs> oh, me- man, and and Tiger Commander's like, you will thank me for beating you. <laughs> yeah, they got a weird relationship now. <laughs> so Nick great. Nick Stone yacht jacks a human of his ice yacht and then continues into Snow City as Slag Keep stays behind, too frightened to fight. Oh, as a big yeah. scared bear. Big scared Yeti guy. I don't want to fight. As Stone approaches the city, he's spotted by Lee Shar and Tiger Commander with the city's catapults, fire flaming rocks at his ice yacht. Slag Keep <laughs> looks on. He must intervene or Stone will die. And, uh, you know, Lee Shar's got a pretty sweet coat on. He's, yeah, man. He's always fashionable, he's got his, uh He's got his winter look at. This is winter winter action Lee Shar available from a store near you. Oh, man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Under heavy catapult fire, Stone ditches his ice yacht, and the baddies sail out to meet him. Uh, Seth mind whammies Stone to make him give up and turn himself into Tiger Commander. But at the last minute, Slag Keep uses his powers to save Stone from being run over by the feline military leader. Dude. Seth retaliates by beat by breaking the ice under Slag Heap. Stone comes to and avoids being run over by Lee Shar, who um, does successfully run over King Seth. No, not King Seth! I mean, like, 
they crushed that snake, and he kind of fucking deserved it every time. So oh, I feel bad about that guy. I liked him because I liked him for his evil, not despite it. Uh, meanwhile, no, Slag Heap has fallen beneath the ice, and he drowns a coward to the end. Stone is captured. Uh, so the escaped Liana, the Catwoman, has taken oh. work with a walrus man fishmonger. Oh, but it's a bad job. She learns that Stone has been taken prisoner and goes to investigate, and then resolves to free him. And sneaks up to the, like, she does a pretty good job of sneaking in the place. She's like, I got some special fish, and yep. gets in there, beats up a, a mink guard guy, and then goes and hides yep. in a robot floor cleaner. Uh, which probably isn't the best thing. So just so I remember correctly, this is the same woman who snuck into a palace and nearly murdered uh, Stone with yeah, a knife. right at the start, absolutely. And here she is, just like, I can't sneak into this place, I need to use a bucket of fish. I'm just saying... I mean, we don't know, you know, I mean, that place was open, that place was just open to the air, that palace, and so if you just had to jump yeah. high, you know? This is like a guarded gate, like, inside a big facility and stuff. I think she managed to do it pretty ably. The only reason okay. that she got caught was because, as we see, you know, Lee Shard doesn't care about hearing that the Catwoman is, en- that a-, a Catwoman, I should say, is entering his facility because he's too busy showing Stone his super weapon, the ability and, yeah. to graft parts from other Yugis onto other Yugis. Um, we see another Massimo Bellardinelli cameo as he works on a Warthog Man. <laughs> and then... Which is great. Yeah. You know, anytime everybody in... The world of Meltdown, all the humans in Meltdown, man, have like has aw- have awesome feathered like late seventies, early eighties hair, except mm. for the Bellardinelli characters who are all bald and bearded. <laughs> really stands well, out. And, and this one's got that feeling to it of just like he is creating them because he's creating them. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I so like it. We see the latest Yuji model. It's a uh, it's a Yuji. It's got a wolf legs, a kangaroo tail, rhino torso, gorilla arms with tiger claws, and a dog head with tiger teeth. Which, uh, and the tiger teeth are an optional extra. Mm-hmm, Says yeah. Tiger Commander. This is like, the, yeah, uh, pretty awesome. This is the mutant Yuji uh, L.E. Very nice. Mm-hmm. All options not shown. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, this Yuji's keen senses allows him to find Liana hiding inside the cleaner bot and then stare terror into her and then use his, uh, sorry, use his terror eyes to eye beam her into submission. <laughs> So take all the parts of something and then give it psychic powers. This has never backfired ever. This guy's just a top level Yuji uh, Henchman guy. Yeah. Anyhow, next time on Meltdown Man, the lion, the rhino, and the bull man. I wonder who that's going to revolve around next. Probably Ooh, a cool jailbreak. Or some kind of weird Christian allegory. Um, oh. <laughs> speaking of allegories and revenge, oh. Fox... Thrill Six Mean Arena. So, script robot Tom Tully, art robot Steve Dillon, letter robot Peter Knight. Hey, All we're right, back. All right, Mean Arena, return to Armageddon, died so you could live. Earn <laughs> it, <laughs> dude. So, do a good job. All right, like, don't mm-hmm. be weird again. Yeah, we start with some. Actually, let's start with some weirdness, Fox. Where, um, throughout the whole. Uh, match against the Southampton Sharks we just had. They kept saying the date line was 2021, and this one opens in 2025 at the Street Football Hall of Fame. 
They just decided to change the year on, the, on us for no reason. Um, it definitely doesn't seem like four years have passed. So, no. so this is like, like a typo or they decided to change it. So the Hall of Fame, it's a mix of great players who have died and just regular dead players. It's a m- memorials-only Hall of Fame, including Matt Talon's brother, Paul Simpson. Matt says, I, I like uh, on the outside, there's a guy named Tony Sharp. Uh, and it, and his uh, stone says, cruelly shot down when mistaken for a drive. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Paul, so Matt Talon says some quick words and places a wooden cross with the name Jaws Jensen on like a little wooden tombstone. Yeah, right, on, on the tombstone of, of his brother. One down, five to go. It's got to be weird because presumably there's also a Jaws Jensen memorial inside this Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's hope no one ever goes to the teeny tiny little stone that says uh, yeah, Paul Simpson. You know, yeah, Paul Simpson. Yeah. So, anyhow, we go back to the Slater Slayer training facility. It turned. It looks like Towns acquired some sort of kit type talking car. And nobody likes it. Uh, wh- wh- uh. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Mike Slater, the owner of the team, chews out Talon for his quest for revenge, and Talon lets him know the team's new sponsor is contingent on Talon being on the team. So let's just be clear about who's got what kind of power in this situation. Oh my god, it's just a huge dick. Yes, Listen, this is you're my vendetta team. This is what we call in the business a dick move. So, <laughs> um. So Talon starts training against some droids and seems friendly with a teammate named Rick, R-Y-K. Be careful, Rick. I feel like friends of Matt Talon don't last long. Meanwhile, in a shadowy room with the five people who killed Matt Talon's brother are plotting against Matt. At least one of them is a lady, just FYI. Anyhow, they resolve to call in the family of Jaws Jensen uh, for them to get revenge and Talon to be taken out. But they're, who are they? Well, they're, they're currently on their way to Slayer's training yard now. There's Jarl, Max, Crophead, Ruth, Hunk, Zip, and Hazel, the Malevolent Seven. Hazel's pretty cute. Next episode, Hell at High Noon. Yeah, they're getting revenge from that town getting revenge. It's like a commentary on the dangers of revenge and stuff, buddy. Dude, I just like the way that each of the Malevolent Seven look. Like, you got your trench coat German man... You've got a dude with just like a chain with his fedora. You got a guy in the back who looks generic. All right. This guy with a mohawk. This guy with like a, yeah. ch- a hairy chest. There's two chicks. It's it's good times. Well, there's a guy also who's got his mouth stitched up. Mm-hmm. Or maybe teeth. I mean, I can't really tell from here, but it looks we'll like it's stitched up. We'll see more of it. Up. Yeah. And this is all, this this whole section is done by Steve Dillon. It's, it's real good. Um, mm-hmm. Real good Steve Dillon stuff, too. So, you know, revenge story. Yeah. Uh, masquerading as a as a sports thing but it's sure, fine I'm, I'm buying it yeah so fox here's the important question oh good lord what is your top and bottom thrill for this june 1981 um so clear winner is fucking strontium dog mm. strong 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 showing yes. from them like i think we be, 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 before the show, we were talking about it. And we were basically saying it like it's it's not fair to other thrills that this uh, strong team dog story starts starts off each each prog because it just only downhill yeah. from there. It the thing is is just I I like Johnny Alpha. I especially like Johnny Alpha Sans Helmet because like I think he just as a character design looks really good. Yeah, his hair blowing but, in the wind. Yeah, exactly, and like 
just the whole build up you you still get like this interplay with his mother and his sister they're not just like kind of forgotten forlorn characters mm-hmm. but also just you get to experience the like real ruthlessness of Creelman yeah who is the man's father for Christ's sake and I don't know I it just beat for beat it's always action mm-hmm. the resolution is done like uh, to me really well so like even if you're spending a page or two on a situation um, before it changes, the way that it's making those jumps is fairly logical, right? So, like, they're they're kind of put in with a conundrum to, um, okay, this guy Creelman's like, I don't give a fuck if you kill these people. It's just yeah. going to make you look bad. And it's like, well, we can't fucking kill them because, one, we don't want to, and two, yeah, we would look bad. So the only chance that we have is this one thing, so let's hope that that's true. And luckily, those other guys were on their side, and then that resolves itself in a completely different manner, right? So, yeah. and honestly, it feels really realistic, honestly, or kind of of these um, rebel leaders, sort of, you know, being sentenced to death, <laughs> like even yeah. after they surrender and stuff. There's no like real leniency or um, anything. It's, it feels very real in terms of what what might happen. If a bunch of, you know, if a marginalized group, like, you know, took, like, took the government hostage and stuff, you know, they, they would have really harsh sentences. It would cause a lot of backlash against that group, you know? Yeah, exactly. I just, it, it I mean, it's, it's sort of sci fi up, but, you know, beyond that, you know? Oh, sure. <laughs> it just, it continues to be this, like, very grounded, very, like, I, I don't, fun is a weird word, right? Like, it's definitely action packed interesting there is some funny elements to yeah. it but like strontium dog has always been that comic where it's like i really feel like uh you know um both the gronk and johnny are actually friends yeah right definitely. And, and that's a very hard thing to capture just by um like just writing something right like yeah. they are friends is not is not a very good descriptor of like how how they are friends and, and how they act with each other and this is just sort of that extension of just you know clearly Grant knows what the fuck he's doing um, <laughs> and I imagine that like it there it very much feels like a team effort to make something of quality mm-hmm. so yeah, just I'm really enjoying it nice and what's your bottom for this month oh fuck man I I don't know like. So I could say Future Shocks just because they were a little weird, but that's I'm never going to say Future Shocks unless they're absolutely horrible. <laughs> I, I ha- like the thing is I have to say Return to Armageddon just because like not even looking at the past, but just like looking at this month, it's mm-hmm. kind of broken into two groups. It's like okay, it was you're in hell and you've got to resolve this conflict, and then the second part, which I'm not sure if I love or hate. Um, but it, but it's just like so tangentially different. So it still yeah. follows this kind of insanity that I loved about the first two acts. But it's just doesn't make any fucking sense, and it's not <laughs> fun. And it's sort of, it's just sort of weird. Uh, like it's bottom for sure. Yeah, I mean, kind of tied with Meltdown Man. It's, it's this is part for me right now is just a little boring. I'm not really sure why. It, like they didn't do like a cool cool enough ice chases i don't really feel like the yeti dude served a purpose yeah but yeah He's more sort of a monster of the week almost or something like that you know yeah <clears throat> so how about you conrad what was your tops 
and bedams thrill. Man, you know, I gotta agree with you pretty much, Fox. I gotta say, a lot of solidarity in the middle of the year here. Um, Strong Team Dog's so good, buddy. Um, I really love just all the si- all the different characters in it, and um, and Ascara's art. Which, you know, you talk a lot about the writing. I want to talk a lot of or a, a little bit about Ascara's art. He just does such a great job in just writing, drawing all these different characters. You know, I love all the different looks of the different mutant generals and stuff. Um, the way he draws, like the members of of the government, like um, the the prime minister. Um, the the king Creelman, all those guys have all really yeah. distinctive looks and looks you know look like they've sort of some thought has been put into like well like you know okay here's this sort of prime minister of New Britain like what would he look like like you know does he have to be like a stodgy old white guy or can he be like like a, like a, a a black character like he is or something like that um, yeah the different just the different mutant generals you know just sort of going from you know johnny to the clacton fuzz to midden face to the torso you know all these guys are so good and they're all so different you know they there's no they aren't like really generic or anything they're like they all have their own characterization and things like that and then and they're all memorable yeah exactly and then just like <clears throat> There's so many sort of individual pieces of art in Strontium Dog this, this month that are really cool. Stuff like Johnny Alpha sitting in his jail cell with the shadow of a noose coming oh, yeah. in through the window. Or even like ones that are, that are, that are funny and pointing at the same time, like that, uh, Ghetto Joe No Knees, who's like, you know, just some little guy that looks like he can't really move around very well, sort of yelling <laughs> at these creelers. And then they shoot him with a time gun and he's just there shaking his fist, floating in, in deep deep space like sort of you know dying in orbit and stuff that stuff's really affecting just in terms of uh showing the inhumanity of these um of these creelers and just sort of how offhandedly they sort of take out these mutants and stuff all in all this is just really top to bottom this is one of the most like is a really perfect thrill almost um it's really good it's just all the care the characters are great the art's great the writing's great everything's great about it love it so much God damn, such a strong agree. Yeah. Um, bottom, yeah, man. Uh, uh, Return to Armageddon, I, I hate this ending. I think it's a huge cop-out. Um, <laughs> it is a huge cop-out. Like, it makes me, you know, it just makes it all BS, you know? And in general, I've just been really, you know, I mean, it's been our bottom for a while, but um, I've just been really down in the third act of Return to Armageddon of like, hey, let's have this be sort of now just a generic sword and sorcery story. You know, Amtrak's handsome. He's got a magic sword he's a girl, whatever, like, you know, I, I, I miss, you know, it used to be, like, you know, the first act was this creeping horror of these crazy babies, like, killing people, you know, the second act was this melty guy interacting with a futuristic society and, like, things go, getting worse and worse and worse for him, yeah. like, because of his meltiness and his immortality and stuff, um, and then it just sort of, you know, they sort of flip a switch and then it's, it, it's just a regular old you know, kind of boring story, I guess. Hey, and, Adam and Eve, get it? Like yeah. this whole thing was fucking and then, weirdly biblical. Yeah, and then ending with a with a dumb, um, just twist <laughs> twist ending that I I really didn't like. Um, we, you know, I'm against. You know, it's 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 so bad that the first acts are so good that the end is so bad. But I feel like that's honestly a problem that so many 2008 and honestly, like maybe comic book stories in general have for me. You know? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. like. I'm a big believer that like there's I, I've never seen an anime that ends well, for instance. 
<laughs> oh god no i i think it's so many of them like things well in general like so much of the stuff is like the question of like um you know there's so much promise and mystery at the beginning once you get answers things go bad you know so and the, you know return to armageddon sort of deals with that um you know meltdown man is sort of on the cusp of that just now we know about the world and they're kind of getting towards sort of an end state for that as well that's coming up you know this is sort of how it goes I mean, at least that one's getting weirder. They just unveiled a fucking, like, yeah. homunculus. I do you know? appreciate, yeah, that's what keeps Meltdown Man um, out of the bottom, is just that they are sort of keeping it weird, which I do appreciate. <laughs> keep it weird, Meltdown Man. Yeah, keep Meltdown Man weird, sort of the Austin of uh, thrills. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes. Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on the 2080 forums, our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up spacespinner2000. We should be there. And just generally, thanks everybody for listening to the show. You know, we kind of got maudlin about it last episode a little bit. But, you know, it's been really great that people have sort of talked to us and we're getting feedback and stuff. That's so awesome. And, hey, you know, here's to another year. Here's to another year. Here's to many more years as we sort of, you know, grind our way through (laughs) these 2018 comics, buddy. I couldn't think of a better... It's about to get amazing. And, uh, like... We're on the... of have a second birthday. Yeah, we're on the cusp, buddy. Come back next time as a new threat uh, merges all of these mega racket stories together in Judge Dredd. The portrait of a mutant sadly concludes. The super UGs are on the march. The Jensen <laughs> gang starts their plan for revenge. And a certain mm-hmm. warlock named Nemesis begins his long war against humanity. Dude, Credo! Credo indeed. Until next time, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for a drink! Splendid for a drink!